Hi, and welcome to the Indie Music Podcast, the podcast for independent musicians and other audio professionals. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Denton, also known as Mojo of Ragged Birds Music. I'm a Bay Area mix engineer and recording artist. And Douglas Reynolds of Resonance Mastering, a mastering engineer in Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome to Indie Music Podcast, episode 235. Tonight, Matt and Doug get together and talk about album sequencing. They discuss concepts of deciding on the order of songs on an album, examples of albums that employed great sequencing, techniques and strategies that you can use to sequence your next album, and thoughts of sequencing and transitions from a mastering perspective. Enjoy the show. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning. <laughs> I don't know if this time is going to work for me, man. I'm, I'm always up by this time, but that doesn't mean I'm able to have an intelligent conversation this early. Which may be like awesome <laughs> for the show, you know? <laughs> uh, I know I've got two hours on you here, so I'm, yeah, I'm almost done with coffee time. <laughs> yeah, I started on tea now. Good idea. How are you? Really good, thank you. And yeah. yourself? I'm stiff and sore from kayaking in Tomales Bay yesterday. We were we went out for four hours, and it was a lot for a first time. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it was cool though. It was it was cool. A lot of jellies, a lot of jellyfish. Oh, really? Yeah. That's most of what we saw: jellyfish and birds. I haven't actually kayaked before i uh i do enjoy oh what the heck's it called it's been so long like the, canoeing no it like paddle boarding oh okay and uh, i've had the opportunity to go down into the uh the mangroves in florida over on the gulf coast and oh, cool. it's a really cool area because they've Back in, I guess this is like in the fifties or sixties or something. The um, the military actually went through, or it's like the Corps of Engineers, and okay, uh, went through and cleared out a bunch of uh, like tunnels through the mangrove forest, okay, uh, down there, and and they did excavation to allow salt water to come into the freshwater area in the in those bay areas, oh. and. They did that to kill off mosquitoes, which were like a really, really big problem at the time. So the salt water, the brackish water would, uh, you know, the mosquitoes couldn't reproduce in oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it created this really cool feature down there where you can go and kayak or paddleboard or whatever through all these tunnels through the forest. And it's like really awesome. That sounds really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. Well, fun. <laughs> I've never been to that part of the country. Oh, you, you should check it out. The Gulf Coast Someday. Is, is awesome, and the water's warm. Yeah, as long as there's not a hurricane blowing through it. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a that sounds like an interesting sequence of events. Yeah, I was thinking so, and I, uh, you know, I, dang, you stole my segue. <laughs> <laughs> I scooped you. <laughs> like a bad mid just got scooped. <laughs> <laughs> Threw you off your game. Obviously, we're jumping right in. Banter's over. Banter is right over. Now. That's all you get this week, That's listeners. That's all you get this week. 
That's all I have brain power for. Which they're probably like, God, thank God they're finally thank getting goodness. to the point early. <laughs> if Doug would just shut up and I had to I had to look it up. I was like, what are we talking about again? I couldn't remember. What are we but, talking um, about again? We are talking about album sequencing. Album sequencing. Which uh, which is the uh, art and craft of um, putting songs in an order on an album, and I believe probably from your perspective, there's more to it than that. And um, now that's the you said this definition. is a topic that's near and dear to your heart. Um, I feel like it's something that I have uh, I have an affinity for, and um, I mean I've done it a bunch of times. I've done it for other people, and um, I have a I have kind of a a, a formula that I. A loose formula that I use for it. Do you ever get asked to to do that? I, I, I imagine most albums come to you like already in an order that's been set by the band or producer. Yeah. I may have suggestions. I don't really have a say in it per se, other than some technical reason why I think something and that might be related to the loudness or how transitions are coming together. If there's something I feel like the end of a song is, is like a really big climax and it's loud and, and the way that it leads into the next song. Right. If that doesn't feel right, you know, then I might bring that type of thing up, but that's about it. Yeah. So tops and tails. Yeah. Yeah. But what kind of stuff goes into the artistic creative side of sequencing? What, what are your thoughts and how do you guide artists to well, decide it's, it's on funny. song sequence there's a i mean beyond that there's kind of a whole debate now about how important it really is anymore in the age of streaming and singles where people just kind of like listen to playlists and cherry pick the best songs or the ones that they like the best or yeah. or an algorithm chooses them for you how much how much uh importance should be placed on it depends how you release i think because i agree you can release as a single or an ep or lp if you're releasing as singles i don't think that you know that doesn't matter at all if you are releasing as a compilation of songs especially what really comes to mind for me is when you have like like a concept kind of album and you've got a story being told Throughout well, the in whole that case, thing, the, uh, the order was going to be preset, kind of chronologically or story, yeah. story oriented, and that's the kind of thing in sequencing that comes to my mind in yeah. albums. But there's a lot more to it there, and when you consider the dynamics of songs and how the heads and tails and how they uh, uh, interact with each other, and I don't really do much with that part. Yeah, well, my voice is deeper in the morning, isn't it? Um, so. Traditionally, yeah, getting back to the whole singles versus album thing, traditionally, I mean, the album would be would be basically in the can, ready to release months ahead of, uh, you know, a, a campaign, and then a single would be released from the album, and that order would already have been set. And what's weird to me now, even in the age of streaming, when nobody's buying CDs, people are buying vinyl again, is the concept on, like, Top 40 Radio of releasing a single from an album it's already been out right so it's right. been online it's been streaming you can access it literally anytime it's not like you have to wait for it to show up on the radio anymore but the you know an album a single from an album will still come out you know like six months after the album has been released sure and in a, in the age of streaming that makes that's that just seems a little weird to me but and oftentimes it's the other on. way around too where 
I see clients that I work with are releasing singles ahead of the albums. Yeah, and, that's the new model. And that's a good model, I think, because they don't release everything. They choose a couple strategic songs off the album that they think are right. they want to get out there and get people to listen to. And I think that helps gain interest in the marketing of the EP or the album when it comes out, when people have already had a chance to listen to the pre-release stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, previously the single was to, well, originally the single was to get you to buy the 45, but then the single was kind of almost like a an advertisement for the album itself, right? Yeah. So now it's now it's strategically more to get you interested in the album before it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all switched around. But I do think uh, if you're going to even bother to release an album, which I think a lot of artists still do, that you should pay attention to the order. I don't know who listens to albums in order anymore, but I do all the time. I do too. You know, I'm the kind of person, like my Spotify or title playlists don't, I have like one or two playlists that are compilations of different artists. Okay. Um, but most of my playlists are the full albums. Okay. And cause I'm not real big on just getting a single. I mean, if I'm going to make a, you know, I like to have full albums and that I think comes from my, when I was heavy in vinyl days, you know, that's the way that I received music. That's the way I started listening to artists, you know, and I would, sit down and listen to the whole thing through. So when I, when a new album by an artist comes out, you know, I just, I'm not interested in just their singles. I want to, I want to hear the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, usually the record, well, in the previous days, the record label would, would pick the single say, okay, this is the one we think is going to be the big seller and the one that's going to get you guys, you know, on the map or whatever. Yeah. And, um, my enjoyment was always listening to an album going, oh, wow, I, I like these other songs. They're so much more interesting oftentimes than the ones that were picked as a single and then overplayed on the radio. Yeah. That was largely because that's where they put their money, you know, so which yeah. uh, wolf is stronger, you know, the one you feed. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? And so in those days of the large corporate labels, which we still have today, but it's the, the whole music industry's changed. And so the way they were making rock stars, right. And those were, those were intended from the planning stage. We're going to create, you're going to be a rock star. Yeah. We're going to make this happen. And, you know, and that went all the way through the whole production process and it was intended that, and then we're going to heavily market. We're going to hit up all the radio stations. You know, you're going to get airplay. You know, this was all intentional. Oh yeah. And that all still happens, but for the pop market rather than the rock market. And it's weirdly almost a parallel music business to everything else. Like that operates in its own sphere. The whole major label, make a pop star, get them on everything, get their stuff on terrestrial radio, et cetera, et cetera. Well, meantime, everybody else is, you know, you know, self-producing or small labels or releasing for Spotify. It's almost like two side-by-side industries that have some interaction, but not, not, they're just not the same animal. I think we're off on a tangent, but yeah, <laughs> it's all interesting. Yeah, stuff. I, was, I was just getting ready to to text you, you know, <laughs> Say, sequence, sequence, Matt, <laughs> order of events, man. <clears throat> See, it's I know that's what I did to you last week. <laughs> Stay on topic. I still haven't gotten over. Bring that. it home. Bring it home. <laughs> 
Um, you son of a... Yeah, it's funny because I thought that this would be like a five-minute conversation because I just have like the one thing that I do. Oh, um, not with but me. But there's so much more. There's so much more to it than that. I don't know what a, a five-minute <laughs> conversation even... Does that exist? <laughs> what even is that? <laughs> That's that's just like ordering coffee at Starbucks. Um, <laughs> oh, that so takes my, me my, ten minutes. You know? <laughs> my my thing, I have a yeah, I have a theory, and it's from it's from listening to so many albums and kind of going what works and what doesn't. And I mean, you want to draw people in immediately and kind of hold their attention, and then once you've got their attention, you can kind of take them on a little journey. So I think of album ordering um, in terms of batting order. You watch baseball? I do. So in, in uh, you know, batting order, you want to have a strong leadoff, his, his job is to get on base, and then you want to follow that up with another strong hitter who hopefully also gets on base, and then somebody who can hit, you know, bring, them, bring at least one of them home in the third place spot, and then, if, you know, your fourth and fifth, and then sixth is called the cleanup batter because their job is to, you know, get a good hit and get whoever's left on base home, and then you have the rest of the order, and then at the, you either have the pitcher's spot last, um, in ninth place, oh, um, which is usually, you know, is either kind of your throwaway <laughs> batter spot, right? Or, or you have a, a pinch hitter who's like somebody who comes in who can hit, hit and like bring it back around to the beginning. So I kind of think of that. So I have a strong song to lead off and really get the attention of the listener. And then, uh, another strong one or two. And then by the third or fourth, you can start to, you know, have your ballad or your other like slower, more interesting song. But your real, your real hook song, the one that's the best one I feel should be in about fifth or sixth place. And that's usually the one that's the album's named after, in my opinion. So you are really like a a student of John Fogarty. (laughs) I like John Fogarty. (laughs) Center field. Yeah. Put me in coach. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. <laughs> oh, sorry. See, this is why early is fun. <laughs> early is it is kind of fun in a way. All Here's right, another half an hour. So, so anyway, that's my theory. Yeah. So, how do you make those decisions? Who's who's uh, who's your lead off? Well, how do you decide? It's just like it's just like a fast, engaging song. Now, now this it, is, is that I the most start. important song on the album? Is the no generally the not. first it's song? Just the most the one. It's just the most attention. I mean, in song. that. At least is the it's an up the first fifteen seconds of that song need to be the best yeah. fifteen of the entire album. Well, it's got to be up tempo. It's got to be up tempo and like give you a sense of this is what this artist is about and this is what this album is about. Now, I should I should you know I have a caveat. And the caveat is that batting order kind of theory that I use. That's where I begin, but then I put them all in that order and then I listen to them and go, okay, does this flow? Does this make sense? And um, when I kind of get them in an order that feels like it's balanced and leads one song to the next, like energetically and creatively, then I'll just go through and listen to the ends of the songs to the beginnings of the next song. Okay, is this a good transition or does this ending sound too much like this beginning or does this ending sound too much like the ending of a different song and, and kind of reorder based on the flow. So I start with the batting order and then I go with the flow. Yeah. Cause I think the, the flow and the transition are really secondary. And then you can reassess how those actually work out together. You know, once you get like your original concept of what the sequence should be. Yeah. And then to verify that that really meets what your artistic vision was. Right. Yeah. I do think that the flow is important. So one, what's the song should lead into the next. This may be hard and on the spot, but what's an, 
an album that comes to your mind when you think of great sequencing? Um, you know, the first few Dio albums after he left Black Sabbath and went and went on his own. Yeah. And it's almost formulaic. Like there's a really fast song to start and then a more thoughtful song that tends to be the like the album name song by the third song. And then it's just it's a real it's a real kind of roller coaster of um and you know if you listen to uh last in line and uh holy diver it's almost a formula what song like you can almost like mix and match songs in the same sequence on those two albums and, yeah. they, and they would flow the same it's it's kind of interesting all great and stuff. then they end with like a, they end with like a really long um kind of uh just a really longer song with a really long fade out that's a more interesting song yeah back in the days um, when songs didn't have endings I love the fade out. I mean, it, it can overdo it, but some of the most interesting stuff was found in that fade out. All the ad libs, all the time changes, all the l- plays on lyrics and stuff. Yeah. I used to just like ride the volume control and just turn up the volume as the song would fade out, just hear all that extra stuff. That yeah. There'd be there. like the artists would be actually talking into their studio microphones and, right. you know, and, and whatever. Yeah. There's some Easter eggs and a lot of that stuff that's really cool. That's true. Yeah, that kind of went away with the, you know, modern productions. They want that button ending, you know, they want it to stop. Yeah. So that uh, there's no question as to where, you know, the next beat song begins and stuff. But I like a good fade out, especially if it has the ad libs and interesting stuff in it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So that's my theory. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I go about it. Yeah. On my end of the production chain, it's really more laid out. and. There's not a whole lot of questions as to anything related to the artistic aspects of that layout because that's already been answered. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, I don't have a lot of input, but it's really interesting. I find myself with more questions (laughs) now um, (laughs) with, with what, and maybe, maybe it's because we don't have any context of some actual music that we're, True thinking true. of you know and and the songs, but in that formula that you were kind of talking about, it seemed like you could maybe think of that in uh, geometric terms or in mm-hmm. or like levels of uh, not the actual volume of the album, but of energy yes. and the amplitude and how do you want that energy to flow and ebb and tide you know throughout the album and do you want it you could have it be something that that just builds all the way to the end or you have ups and downs throughout what's the feel. And that all depends on the music that you've written, I guess. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, cause I was, I was, I was about to say that, you know, I, I mean, I like it to be a little bit of a roller coaster in a song proper. You kind of want it to, to build sequentially, you know, introducing a little new element in, in the second verse. So it doesn't just sound like a repeat of the first verse introducing a little new element and volume change in the second chorus, et cetera, and then have the whole, everything come together at the end. You know, it, it tends to have the ebb and flow because if you don't have the ebb, then you don't have the flow, right? If there's no dip in the energy and volume, then there's, then the next part just doesn't have the impact. So, yeah. Now, do you think artists have this in mind? Like I'm just, I've decided I'm going to write 10 songs Mm-hmm. And I want to make an album out of them. And, and I like to have this, this pattern in a song that I have that has a, 
this energy pattern and the with the choruses and verses and then the next chorus, but it's a little different and things like that. And do you think that artists then can take that type of idea and expand it out to the album and and have that pattern or that formula of energy that where the whole album has the same pattern that the songs within the album follow? Yeah, I don't think so. And only because it's one thing to keep somebody's attention for, you know, three and a half minutes. It's another thing to keep somebody's attention for 45 minutes. Well, like Dream so, Theater, for example. Right. Lots of story concept albums, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the way, and I've never actually thought about it in listening to their albums because I've been involved in the storyline and involved in the musicianship and everything. That's really what I'm, but I haven't really paid attention to what's the actual pattern of energy throughout. Cause, and they seem, you know, if I think back on it, it's up and down and, you know, uh, one song leads in a crescendo that, or ends in a crescendo that leads into a real low energy level of building into the next song. They're all over the place as far as the energy level is concerned. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's that's what I'm thinking of, it, that it can't, an album I don't think works if you start low and, and end high because you're not sustaining um, the ride. I think it needs to be more of a, I think it needs to be more of a ride. You know, you, you, you run a little bit, you you walk a little bit, you run a little bit, you walk a little bit. I think it needs to be more like that. Yeah. So images and words from Dream Theater. So it starts with Pull Me Under. Right, <clears throat> right. And that song, man, I remember when that was on the when that was on the radio. I was like, "Who is this?" I copied <laughs> this album, and uh, I'm going to listen to killer, that today. It's a killer track. Yep. And then and then it goes to another day, which is a slower song. Then it goes to take the time, which is another faster song. Then it goes to surrounded, which is a slower song. You know what I mean? It's like fast, slow, fast, slow, and that's that helps you know keep that energy you know retained and the interest retained as you move through the album. I think it needs to be more of a journey than a single song should. Be kind of like an, a small journey, but builds. Yeah. Whereas an album, I think, I think it needs to start strong and then just kind of maintain the energy over the the period of of songs that you have. Yeah, my mind is full of different artists and listening experiences now, trying to think of of what have I heard and experienced, you know, related to their energy. I'm going to have to kind of go back into some listening uh, with that focus to get a better idea of conceptualizing what we're talking about today. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think, I think you'll find um, more or less across the board that the first song will always be basically the hook, the, the grabber song, the one that really pulls you into the album. And then the third song will be strong. And then like the fifth or sixth song will be strong. And maybe the name of the album. Yeah. Money. <laughs> <laughs> right. They were way more conceptual. I don't. I don't know if they follow any kind of formula because I almost. They. I feel like Pink Floyd always kind of had a concept album mentality, even when they weren't really a concept album. Yeah, they had a level of emotion and soul, you know. And I. I guess I'm speaking more specifically of David Gilmour because to me he's among the most soulful guitarists in my lifetime. Yes, and and what he plays. And I think he was a big influence in, in how those, the energy of the albums were created. I'd have to guess that he was directing a lot of that, you know, and, and had an influence with Roger Waters and stuff like that. But yeah, 
and I don't know for certain about that. I'm just speculating that, mm. you know, based on what I've heard and know, and, you know, and I've always focused on the guitar players. That's just been my thing. Right. And that energy for me always came out of the, out of the rhythm and lead guitars in that era of music. You know, it was, it was really guitar. Guitar focus. Was the, yeah, it was the focus of the music at the time. Mm-hmm. Other bands like, like Kansas and things and bringing in all these other elements of, you know, orchestrated elements and violins and cellos and things right. like that brought in even more texture, but they were largely conceptual as well. I think. Yeah. That whole kind of prog influenced period of the seventies. I think they just had a whole, you know, Boston told stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boston was kind of like the first like indie self produced musician the guy who had a whole studio in his basement yeah basically wrote all that stuff himself recorded it all himself and then when he got signed the 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 label was like okay you need to take this on the road he's like but uh, i don't have a band (laughs) (laughs) well you better find one like okay he had his friend do all the vocals yeah tom schultz um, yeah so they had to put together a band take it on the road (laughs) but yeah i guess have we offered anything of value to the listener like so (laughs) What what would be a couple ideas that you would offer out to the listeners to how to think about things for sequencing their upcoming album? Well, the first thing I would say that, like as you mentioned, and I, you know, I'm guilty of the opposite, but um, if if you write ten songs and want to release that as an album, your better bet is to write twenty songs and then pick the best ten and then release that as an album. Because. Ah. Um, it's you know it'll be the better it'll be the better fruit the apples without the bruises you know what i mean yeah <laughs> if you get them going in and then think about the song order is this a concept album if so then well you're pretty much unless you you know unless you went into a writing it that way the, the order is pretty much predetermined otherwise yeah. you know think about in terms of because it does if if you're releasing a single it doesn't matter what slot it falls on on the album because it's going to be standalone when it when it goes out right but if you want the album to flow, yeah, I think think in terms of one, three, five, seven, nine, and those should be your strong songs, and you can have little valleys of of more, you know, take a breath in between the the faster, heavier. Even in terms of maybe they're not fast and slow, maybe they're just one's more emotional than the other. You know, one's about you know somebody leaving you, the other's about you know going on a fishing trip. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Put those next to each other. You don't want to <laughs> overwhelm somebody with like three like super heavy songs in a row and like oh man this album's so depressing i need to turn it off now <laughs> <laughs> take people on a journey think of it in terms of that i guess yeah energetically emotionally and sonically well hopefully that's been interesting <laughs> and helpful to the to the listeners i'm trying to i think i'm going to look at pre-masters delivered to me that have been sequenced and see if I can, as I go through and listen to uh, all the artist music, get an understanding of the inspiration for deciding on the particular sequence of the songs that they've decided on. Yeah, that would be interesting to go back to artists and ask them that. Yeah. I did have a question for you, which is um, in terms of because they're not necessarily going onto a CD or onto vinyl. How do you treat the the tops and tails, meaning the beginnings and ends of songs and how they 
how they sit next to each other, how they flow into each other. How much space do you leave? Um, I like to leave a second at the beginning and the end. For when they are going to be distributed as an album or when they're distributed as singles? Do you treat them differently if they are? Yeah. Yeah. And how so? And well, with, um, with the individuals, I, there's no rules here. Mm-hmm. It's what flows with the music. So like a, on, a, on a head for the lead in, it's usually like one second, okay? Just, I like to mm-hmm. have just like one second of, of nothing leading yep. into the song. And then whether or not the song needs to be, to have any fade in or something, that depends on the dynamics of the song. And that's something I discuss with the artist. If it's not already in the mix and how they brought it up, but it seems like a nice dynamic build would be good, then we might consider doing uh some type of fade in and on the tail end it is basically when the song completely ends and then leaving just a little bit of space there because what uh i would like is to be able to either have that space and quiet in between tracks so that it it gives you a definitive cutoff which is an intentional Mm -hmm. thing or Conversely, then you can bring tracks together in the timeline and and do crossfades mm-hmm. and is another artistic idea for your transitions and how one song might might end leading into another one, especially and importantly, they have the same the same time signature and are on the, the same beat. And so you want to make sure in that type of thing where the rhythm of the song that's ending leads into the same rhythm of the song that's beginning. So there's not a big rhythmic change that occurs, you know, in that transition. Yeah. And, but again, there, there's no rules. So I think consistency is king. And so if you're going to decide that you're going to have one second heads, then stick with that throughout everything that's going to be related to that album. Uh, that could yeah. that could be released in singles and and then deal with the transitions so that they flow naturally with the music. Listen to the I go through and listen to the ends and beginnings of every transition and just to determine how it flows. And I may have a different length of time in those transitions just because it works better with those two songs coming, you know, ending and starting. So if anybody tells you that there's rules as far as how <laughs> how the song should be laid out and stuff, that, then disregard that because there isn't. It's yeah, I agree. What works with the music is the the most important thing in laying out those transitions. And I feel like it should either sound natural or be unnoticeable. Yeah, basically, and any you don't want to be too long because there's you'll have an uncomfortable silence, you know. And right, where you're like, wait, did yeah. My- headphones just cut out or (laughs) yeah i had that yesterday (laughs) and if it's like really really fast that could be just strange you may not actually realize you've transitioned into the next song in some cases so it depends on what you want to do if if doing that is an artistic choice then do it if that is what you're really going for in that transition if you want to make sure that you let your listener know that we've now moved into the next song, then, then you'll have a brief silence and, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
that kind of thing in singles in a streaming, you know, with the uh, users being able to select gapless. I was going to say, yeah, sometimes that's user dependent. Sometimes you don't have any control. Over yeah. That but the all. thing is you do, if you have that one second of lead in, yeah. because even though it's gapless, there's still one second of silence at the beginning of that, that allows, cause that's part of the track. Right. So you still have some control over that. I usually, the tracks that I'm delivered have nothing, no head or, and usually no tail. Yeah. That happens to me with mixing too. People give me stuff and it just like starts. Yeah. And I always slide everything over. Cause I like there to be a, basically a beat of silence. Yeah. So it's usually translate to about a second, but I, I can't work with, I can't work with it if it jumps right in. <laughs> yeah. It's usually about one measure right in there, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. Is about one second, depending on, on yeah, the I do. depending on the beats per minute or something. But you know, if it's if it's a really slow song, you know, maybe at uh, in the eighties of uh, BPM, you know, it might only mm. be like half a measure of lead in or something. It just depends on the song. So how do you treat it now? Okay, so I'm thinking of this now. I'm thinking of what do you do when when you have basically a continuous piece of music, but it's named and tracked differently. So I'm thinking of remember Judas Priest. Um, the Hellion, yeah. which is the kind of introduction and leads right into Electric Eye, but they have it as a separate track. And there's always like that point where it just stops and begins the next track. And sometimes that's jarring. How do you do yeah. that? Yeah, well, the as far as how you define when a track ends and when it starts, you actually use markers. And mm-hmm. uh, there's special code that you put into the markers that tell, in the case of like CD audio, tell it that this is the next track, even though there was no gap between the tracks. Oh, I see. And so that's the music will keep playing, but your CD player all, all of a sudden go from track two to track three, but you didn't hear the gap. Yeah. That's when you're, you may be crossfading. You maybe have a hard break into the next song with no gap in between. Mm-hmm. This is all artistic, creative stuff that you can do with those transitions. But as far as the CD audio is concerned, uh, using those markers with the, with the track codes, uh, defined uh, that defines it in the CD audio, it uses that metadata to, uh, to know where one song actually ends and the next one starts. It's all interesting stuff, yeah. man. And there's all kinds of stuff like on a CD, you actually need to provide two seconds of gap at the beginning of the CD, which right. which you see in the track, but you don't actually hear that two second gap. That two second gap is an area where you're placing data. And mm. that that two second gap is what your CD players use to read that data, but you never hear that two second gap. So there's layout things that occur for CD audio that are inaudible and are for data only. Yeah, I missed the hidden tracks. Remember the hidden tracks? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, on CDs, sometimes there'd be like artists would put a hidden track, like they'd have. Oh yeah. You know, after the last out, after the last song played, there'd be like 100, 101 second tracks of silence or something like that, and then there'd be an unnamed, an unnamed secret track at the end. Yeah, so they don't. Only if you let it play forever would you ever hear it. That's fun. They wouldn't put a uh, uh, a marker in. Right. And so that last track was actually a continuation of the track before it because there was no Usually, yeah. dividing marker. So you would hear it 
your CD player would continue playing, but you'd have it, they put in that silence in there, so you think it's done. Your track number never changed. So if you were on track nine, it'd be the last song on the on the album, and it went into that thirty seconds of silence or something, and mm-hmm. have the hidden track. It was still it would still be on track nine, yeah. but you'd have the extra music appended to the end of it. Yeah, I've seen it be as much as like ten minutes of silence. I mean, like oh, really? You really have to leave it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't really, I don't really do that anymore. I wonder, I wonder what I've missed. <laughs> <laughs> I know Pearl Jam did it. I know Days of the New did it. I know there's a few other uh, albums that have the hidden tracks. You know what we didn't talk yeah. about was vinyl, because sequencing in vinyl is like even more hugely important. Oh, I know, because you have one side and then the other, and each one has to be basically time based. Yeah, you can only have so much and on then, one side. Uh, your higher dynamic music your tracks that you know with, with higher dynamics need to be toward the outside of the disc right in the grooves because you lose dynamics when toward the center of the album so there's decisions that are technically influenced for sequencing on vinyl that not artistically influenced right but basically you have to work with the medium that you're, you're doing so Oftentimes, orders of songs were changed on vinyl from what they were on CD. Yeah. And songs were dropped because you also have the limitation of maybe up to, on a maximum, probably 25 minutes of music on a side of vinyl. 20 is like the target. Uh, Mm -hmm. So 20 minutes, you know, where you can fit up to 70, 75 minutes of music on a CD. Right. A lot of times, vinyl didn't include songs that were included on the CD versions. Yeah, or or it had to be a double album. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was always interesting because yeah, yeah. I bet if you go back and listen to some vinyl records, like the strongest songs were be songs one through three on both sides, and then they'd kind of taper off energy wise. Yeah, because they were the most dynamic. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> Lots of stuff to think about. Yeah. So consider the medium and those choices as well. Where are you going to actually have this uh, uh, the music recorded to? Where is it going to be distributed? Yeah. Food for thought. Well, cool. I think this turned out to be a more interesting discussion than I thought it was. <laughs> See what we can do with what we think is a five-minute topic, you know? We can make a five-minute topic 42 minutes, no problem. Absolutely. <laughs> All well, right. There you have it. Sequencing. Sequencing. Now go out there and sequence those songs. That's right. I'm going to go sequence my uh, sequence my day, which I think is going to include a sequence of yard work <laughs> and some music projects. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Listeners, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you very much for listening. As always, um, like and subscribe, share with your friends, leave us a comment, or send us an email. I don't yeah. know. Just hey, say hey. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Indie Music Podcast. Please like and subscribe, share with your friends, or just leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you've heard. Find our social links and episode guide at IndieMusicCast.com. Until next time, keep creating.